0: Hello, my name is Philip Miriton, and today we're going to have a conversation beyond science and religion. Breaking new ground in thinking. Exploring the outer limits of what we know about the world and ourselves. Unhindered by common beliefs and perceptions. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion taking on subjects from the Big Bang, the multiverse, and evolution, to the supernatural and the new rising consciousness. This is where scientists, philosophers, New Agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now, here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of The Heaven at the End of Science, Philip Merritton. Now, today we're going to move to the practical sphere and talk about a topic we all know and love, and that is food. But this is food with a twist. The issue here is that many of us eat too much and the wrong kinds of food, and we know where this leads and is leading, and that is obesity. It's hard to ignore the fact that recent statistics show that over one-third of American adults are obese, and of course this is not a good thing. And this problem has attracted the attention of a lot of people from Michelle Obama with her program to reduce childhood obesity by 2.5%, by 2015 to the New York Mayor Bloomberg who you may have heard has led the passage of a law banning the sale of large sugary drinks by restaurants and street vendors in the city of New York and the statistics are really overwhelming and you can go anywhere and check out some of these statistics but one of one or two that have caught my attention is is that the U.S. Armed Forces warns that one in four Americans aged 17 to 24 is too heavy for military service. I don't think that was the case in the 1930s and 1940s before World War II, by the way. The number of children eating a healthy diet as measured by the USDA Health Eating Index is also way out of kilter. A score of 80 out of 100 indicates a healthy diet, Today's score is 55, so 55 out of 100 kids are eating a healthy diet and there's certain goals to to reduce that. So we have an obesity problem, we have a food problem in this country. Another theme in the show has been the topic of consciousness and we talk a lot about the connection between, between consciousness and the world and consciousness and our bodies and we've had a lot of great guests in this show who have delved into these topics. A related issue is the rise in consciousness. Are are we heading to a place where we have a greater awareness of ourselves and who we are? And we've talked to such people as Greg Braden and Amaka Swami who believe like many others including me that indeed we are on this upward path, this rise in consciousness. But consciousness itself is somewhat of an airy topic. Unless we bring this topic down to earth and make it important in our daily lives, I don't think we're going to get much out of it. And before I introduce today's guest, I'd like to say here that these two topics, consciousness and our own bodies, have a lot in common. Everyone at some point in their life has tried to lose weight, and everyone at some point in their life has searched for God. Now today's guest, Shannon McEwen of Austin, Texas, has done done just that. She has managed to connect consciousness and food. She's the author of a new book published by Kima Global out of South Africa entitled Food Consciousness, A Food Relationship Revolution. And Shannon is well qualified on this topic, by the way. She has a bachelor's and master's degree in foods and nutrition and is professionally credentialed as a licensed dietitian and nutritionist as we shall see she's breaking new ground by including in her nutritional counseling consciousness or god she believes that your relationship with god and your god self affect every other relationship including your relationship with food she lives in austin texas as i said where her family resides volunteers for local farmers markets and practices what she preaches. welcome to the show shannon to Thank
1: have you here. So that was a well thought out introduction here here
0: <laughs> well, i liked it I like to uh make it clear that we do have we do have a big problem in this country with obesity and and I think it's important for us in this area of consciousness and new consciousness I man I, I look on my bookshelf and there's so many books where the word conscious is coming up and but we need to make it real. Mm-hmm. In our lives now, let's let's get started right off the bat here, and maybe you could help us uh, understand what consciousness in your mind has to do with food.
1: Well, according to um, my academics, nothing.
0: <laughs>
1: um, you know, it's it's interesting that you know we've been taught evidence-based approaches, evidence-based intervention but um, nowhere in that conversation is about the consciousness and the relationship of those two things. So um, to answer your question, uh, you know, giving my definition is like asking five different people, you know, what their definition of love is. Um, Everybody probably explains what consciousness is, um, you know, in a very different way. But um, I think you hit upon some really great points in the introduction um, of what that is, and I tend to agree with your definition, is that it's, it's when we see or find ourselves in a place through certain practices where we honestly reveal and express our true self, our God nature. And through our thoughts and our beliefs, which then manifest itself then in choice and action, those things are then going to either raise our consciousness or those those things are going to keep us, you know, at a certain level. And then, of course, you know, it can go downward as well. So um, I think that, you know, when people... Use words like um, they go to their center. When you hear people use words like meditation, visualization, um, being in the silence. These are all things, um, I think, that most people, when they talk about consciousness, would say that they raise their level of consciousness through these kinds of practices. So um, there's your answer. Well, well,
0: (laughs) well, Well, consciousness itself has this um connotation or 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 additional meaning of being a greater awareness i mean i consciousness itself is a really hard to define term and i think that there's 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 so many books out there or magazine titles that talk about you know consciousness explained you know the book by daniel dennett and then i then there's a recent um and then there's the um, recent issue of Veritas Magazine, one of my favorites. The cover story is called The Origins of Consciousness. And it's just, it's such an intriguing topic. But, but, I, but I think the, the important thing and what you bring to the table, and, and sorry for this sort of playing words here, is, is the connection to food. And, and how, how did you make the connection between consciousness and food?
1: Well... Kind of, again, going back to how I started to answer the last question is that, um, you know, academically I've been trained a certain way to counsel people um, based on these evidence-based interventions and and whatnot and research and so on and so forth. And, you know, after 20 years of being out in the field working with diabetics um, and people, you know, who um, mostly my experience has been with weight management, wellness, and then diabetes Kind of started as an influence during my career, and when I spent time counseling people using what I was learning academically, and kind of you know throwing in my own little loop, if you will, um, I still saw a cycle of of course people would kind of do well for a little while, and then but it wasn't sustainable. That was that was the that was the meat, if you will. Philip, it It wasn't sustainable. So it was a funny thing during my master's degree. Um, I just posed a question to the universe, and I said, "You know, I mean, because as you said at the top of this um, introduction, is obesity is a an overwhelming problem globally and in this country, and it and it's it's not only why I chose to get you know two degrees in nutrition. It's a very important." Um, subject in this country, and it's also just draining our healthcare system. So when I posed the question to the universe, what's the missing link, truly, I was downloaded with the title of the book, and things just started coming into me. And I started recording on a digital recorder. Wow! And what you have in front of you <laughs> is a lot of those answers. Yeah, and I had. It made yeah. so much sense to me
0: and, though and when I, I got the yeah.
1: download. Yes. You know.
0: Yeah. Well, that's 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 what happens when when something it you know happened to me too, and it builds up, and then it's and then it's got to come out. And I think another way to put it is I think it's called inspiration. By the way, I think that's exactly. what, I think what inspiration is, and it sort of builds up and. And I I like to say that, you know, everybody has a book in them. It's unbelievable. Even people, people on the street, everybody, and it's like everybody has a story to tell that that is inside of them. And I counsel people, uh, most of them don't listen to me, but I counsel people to say, you know, tell them, get it out. Just write it out and start. And it's, it's like everybody needs to do it. Going back to the, to the, uh, diet issue and, the, and the obesity. I, to me, and, and I, you know, I said in the beginning, that everybody has been on a diet. I think that that's, that's probably a universal statement at some point in, in their lives. And, and the, the one sort of a piece of advice that I, I think is probably one of the top 10 most true pieces of advice on diets is you need to change your lifestyle. And right. I think that a lot of people, they don't change their lifestyle. It's the same thing where they sit in front of a TV set, they sit at their desk at work, they, they go through, they, they take the elevators instead of the stairs, and all these kinds of things. But you've sort of taken to another level, and this is why I'm doing this, because if you have a more conscious-based life, and we could call it a more spiritual-based life, well, that sounds to me like one heck of a good change in lifestyle. You know, that, that, that sounds like you're getting in tune with something. So I'd like you to, I, I'd like you to talk about uh, a little bit about how you think the, the consciousness or the food consciousness style sort of addresses the biggest problem with diets, and you've already mentioned it, which is, which is that people tend to go off of them. Or they tend to right. fail after a couple of weeks, right? Unsustainable. Why right. don't you talk about a little bit about how your approach addresses that problem?
1: Well, um, kind of. Um, first and foremost, I have to say that when you're getting your nutrition information from an actual nutrition expert, that sort of
0: helps. <laughs> so, instead of, that's instead of On the Somers, non-conscious yeah. side
1: yeah. Yeah. Of, this, <laughs> of this story. <laughs> but um, I think, you know, one of, I, I kind of have, it's a multifaceted answer to your question. Um, and I think the last thing that I want to address in your question is really kind of the kicker in all of this. But I think one of the things that I offer, um, and I think I saw in other diet books, is that there's this obsession going on within the book of weight, weighing, uh, weight loss. I mean, it just goes, it's a thread that repeats itself over and over and over again throughout these books. And I think in my book, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to focus um, people in a positive direction and moving in a forward direction instead of saying, well, how did you get here and uh, and getting in all the minutiae of all of that. Rather, I'm saying, okay, here's where we are. And instead of obsessing on all of, you know, the weight weighing and all that stuff and going over and over it, you know, like a, a, a bad tape, and we're going to say, here we are. Now, this is where we start. This is where we go. And it starts with going inward. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, you know, I think I say kind of in the beginning of the book that the book is steeped in epigenetic theory, which is um, something that Dr. Bruce Lipton has um, generously gave a lot of his uh, time and research and energy towards. And how I bring forth um, the epigenetic theory is not by Uh, listing empirical research or empirical evidence, what I'm trying to do is through spiritual guidance and healing techniques that are rooted in epigenetic theory. This is kind of how we start, begin a process, and the deep contemplation comes in. So, um, And and this was kind of the the part of the book where I sort of had a struggle with which direction I was going to go, and I really felt it was important for my first book to be, Pure inner contemplation practices. Um, there's probably going to be some people who pick up this book and have never meditated before. And at the end of chapters, I don't have exercises or explanations or um, applications, you know, for them to, you know, do the ends of chapters. I'm really just asking people to really sit with themselves and and their inner self and see where they go with the framework that I give them. So that's kind of the other thing. And I think also, and you touched on this you know, a little earlier, is that I'm taking this food approach from a holistic point of view where I'm involving the body and the mind and the soul. But the last thing is, is I think what really, really makes my book totally different from a lot is that most of Americans especially, um, they go to the Jenny Craig's and they do the grapefruit diet, and so on and so forth, because they want a spoon-fed program. The least amount of effort is what they choose to direct themselves towards to, you know, have an outcome that they hope, you know, is going to be sustainable. But what I ask people to do in my book towards the very end of the chapter and this is, could, could be where people get at the end of the book and they just set it down. Hmm. <laughs> well, <laughs> gosh, that was nice up until now. <laughs> but I ask them to take ownership and responsibility for their outcome and create their own eating plan. I give them a framework, and then I say, you know you better than I know you, and I've asked you throughout this book to get in tune with your body's wisdom. And hopefully you've got a grain of salt there to work with. Maybe you've got a handful of stuff to work with. So now with what I'm providing you, let's get creative. Let's have you take ownership of this. Because if they take ownership for it, Philip, then they're more likely to make it something they're going to do for the rest of their lives. And here's where the sustainability comes in. So that's really yeah. kind of the, the yeah, I think that's main good points that have truly set off unique features of how I'm approaching this, not only from the consciousness point of view, but just, you know, I mean, I've done this stuff for 20 years. Yeah, yeah well, I think, I think so, it
0: helps that you, I mean, as I said at the beginning, you are well qualified. You're not just somebody who's lost weight and or been on a diet, and therefore you're going to write a book about how you did it. Right. Uh, and, 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 I, and, I, and I think that, that that brings a lot of, of weight to what you're saying in your book, but I, I want to make sure we define a term that you used, uh, epigenics, which a lot of people may, may not know about. And by the way, uh, Bruce Lipton is going to be the guest next week. I think I mentioned that, but he's oh wow. So, so ironically, that's one reason we're doing this. What's the this. date so I can tune in? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's, uh, it's going to be whatever the second week of November is. November. Okay. He'll be on the he'll be, no, he'll be okay. November. I'm sorry, November fifth. Uh, his show will be uh, uh, available now epigenics why don't you tell the listener what epigenics is in your mind
1: okay Um, you know I'm going to say the simplest form of it and then I'm going to come back around and kind of explain it a little bit more it's simply that from our thoughts flow our beliefs from our beliefs then flow our manifestation of that which is our choices and actions Now, everybody's going to kind of sit there and go, hmm, that's a really nice little quote that I can put to use. But it's not the kind of thing that you work with on a surface level. Um, And and Dr. Lipton believes and has shown through many of his um, uh, research studies that our health is not controlled by our genetics. Right. So in order for this simple... Um, theory that i just said to you to actually work he asks us to go deep into connecting with our god self to surface our subconscious programs and old tapes and bring about new beliefs and when we get down into that deep subconscious level our body's biology will behave to fit that new belief and as we go through that process, we start disconnecting from the tribal mind and all the socially conditioned things that have got people on the cycles of dieting, dieting, dieting over and over and bad health to begin with. So it, it sounds like something easy enough, but it's not meant for just superficial surface thinking or surface thought. I mean, you can sit there all you want and, and have a mantra of from my beliefs, from, from my thoughts flow right. my beliefs, right. from my beliefs flow my actions. Right. And you can chant that hundreds of thousands of times. Right. But if you're not taking that chant and getting down inward into the subconscious level, then you, according to Dr. Lipton, you don't stand a chance of it affecting your DNA and thus um, you know, bringing about true health that your genetics really
0: have little to do with. Yeah, and I, I, I tell you what what uh, excites me about epigenetics is that uh, for those who follow this area, there's there's a couple of books by Richard Dawkins and I think his most famous book is called The Selfish Gene and in that book Richard Dawkins says that we are gene machines and that that had a nice ring to it. And of course, Richard Dawkins is a great writer. <laughs> uh, and. By gene machines, what he was saying was that we are controlled by our genes. That, mm-hmm. that and he and he said that and this is Dawkins. He said that we are survival machines. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a bunch of genes. We're only trying to to uh, reproduce and live to the next day and pass on the genes. And that mm-hmm. sound that sounds very mechanical. It sounds right. like there's nothing we can do to improve ourselves. We're stuck with these genes. And I think what you're saying, what uh, Bruce Lipton and others say is that that is really false. Uh, it's, right. it's really, we're not controlled by our genes, that the beliefs... It's very really limiting, right, too. Right, right. His beliefs, If we are
1: really God nature, right. then how can we sit there and limit ourselves in such a narrow space to that kind of thinking?
0: Right, right. And, that, and that's, that's the connection that, that I think uh, Bruce Lipton makes and others make, which is that this finding of science... Which is that we are not controlled by our genes; that our beliefs affect our genetic makeup or our DNA; that that is exactly consistent with the spirituality movement, uh, which began about 2,500 years ago. Which says that, <laughs> which says that, which says that essentially you could be whatever you want to be; that that you're not that you're not. Uh, the sky's the limit that you can't uh that that whatever your parents told you is not true that you could break through cultural barriers and physical barriers right. and 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 everything else and so it's a very exciting topic so we had that little segue there into epigenics and i think that's very important for folks to understand that particularly in the in the in the uh in the diet area where where we tend to so- <sighs> sort of easily give in to this concept that, well, there's a, there's a eating gene or something, or it's in my right. blood, or it's a disease. You know, I've seen, right. I saw a, uh, a, I'm sorry, a billboard while driving. It's something like, uh, obesity is a disease. Come and get, you know, help or something. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it, it sort of <laughs> implies that you take a drug, just like I said, it's easy. You take a drug and you get all better. You've done a lot of studying on obesity. What do you think are the main factors that, that have resulted in the obesity epidemic in this country?
1: Well, that's a really great question. Um, I, I think the simple answer is, is that our food chain, our food system, is not what it used to be. Food really isn't food any longer. Um, you know, you can pick up any package in the grocery store now, and it has about 15 different things in it. Right. Um, it's, we are just far away. Even, interestingly enough, our agricultural system itself, if you go back 50 years, is significantly different than what it was. Now, granted, a lot of people are going to say, well, sure, there's hundreds of millions more people on the earth. We had the kind of you know, catch up with that. But what has happened in making this shift um, for the masses, be it for the masses or be it for the bottom line, um, you know, you be the judge of that. But we have went from when we used to give you for an, an example, for instance, is when apple trees used to be planted um, for it to show up in our grocery stores 50 years ago. It was not in a monoculture sort of um, agriculture system. And what I mean by that is now apples are acres and acres and acres of a Macintosh is planted by a particular farmer. And go back 50 years, and we have much smaller planting of apples. And there we might even find Macintosh among Gala And we might find Macintosh and Gala next to Granny Smith. And so there was a a diversity of apples that were being planted together rather than one single apple that's acres and acres and acres of that particular one apple. And that doesn't sound significant (laughs) in a lot of ways to most people. But what happens is that when we shifted to a monoculture system, and this is not just with apples, we have to now use more pesticides. And you say, well, why do we have to do that? Well, the simple reason is, is that insects have a much easier time when you're planting acres and acres of one thing for them to find the key, if you will, to the door to, making, to infesting your apples. Whereas if you have much smaller crops of apples and you have various apples, here comes the word variety, diversity, then the insects don't have as much of a chance to find that lock and you know that, that key to the lock as quickly, and so thus there doesn't have to be as much pesticides. So something as simple as that um, is one thing. And now that we we're using much more pesticides because we've monocultured a lot of our foods these days where these pesticides are now in our soil, and they're degradating our soil. So, and we're turning over these crops so much faster. So now our soil has lost its minerals and because it's being, it, it doesn't have time for rebirth right. in a way. So that's just you know, a small little part of a multifaceted problem of how our food system has changed significantly enough to where, I mean, you know, now we haven't, we haven't had the discussion about junk food and processed foods and, and so on and so forth. Um, I was actually talking about real food, and you yeah. can see <laughs> where the problem lies with real food. Yeah. So now we throw in, you know, the conversation of junk food and fast food, and, and just to give you another simple example with um, what I call a man-made food, let's just talk, you know, for a second about um, artificial sweeteners. I mean, we've got various choices out there as far as artificial sweeteners go, and a lot of people don't think of high fructose corn syrup as an artificial sweetener, but it is. Um, it's not... It, high fructose corn syrup is man-made. <laughs> it doesn't come from nature. So I am I, going to go out on the limb and call it an artificial sweetener. <laughs> but basically what happens is when man makes First, first of all, let me say that we all know that our sweeteners are much sweeter than their natural counterpart, which is sugar cane. Right. Okay? That's the first thing. So first of all, we're, we're creating a, a new conditioning to our palate and from our palate to our brain of hyper-sweetness. That's the first thing. Hmm. Second of all, is that as we've created these artificial sweeteners, we've attached some chemicals. Now, lo- no, it's no longer C6H12O6. You know, now it has you know some hydrogens and some chlorides and some other things attached to it. And what we have found, and research is really backing this up pretty good nowadays, is that our bodies, our, our palate is seeing it hypersweetness. But then when the message goes to our brain and as it's being metabolized, it's hitting a pleasure center in our brain, almost like drugs do. And it's changing the chemistry in our brain now to where just by having artificial sweeteners, we now want more sweets because of that that exposure. And then to top that off is not only do we want more sweets, but now we're asking, our brains are asking for denser calories. In other words, for things that have high calories in them. So almost like a a drug addict has their brain chemistry changed because of the chemical structure of opium or the chemical structure of heroin. The same thing is happening with these man made foods we are creating.
0: Well, let me let me stop right there for 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 one minute, and and maybe you're going to say this, but but what what sweetener would you recommend? Well, I, and I'm not saying artificial. Is, I'm I'm saying natural or artificial. Which which right. which, which which anything
1: that's as close to nature as you can get. So, I mean, obviously, none of us are going to go running around chewing on sugar cane,
0: <laughs> okay?
1: And we're not going to take a sugar cane and stick it down in our tea mm-hmm. because. We won't get the sweetness we want because the husk that is around the sugar cane, you know, is way too thick for us to even get the sweetness we want out of the sugar cane in the first place. So, what I'm trying to tell people here is, is that you can't use a sugar cane to get your sweetness. We do have to process it. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to say, but that's just a a condition that's going to happen with us being able to use. Sugar cane, the the least processing of that is what you want to look for. So, uh, a sugar that is uh, maybe evaporated, organic evaporated cane juice sugar, uh, turbinado sugar, those are probably sugars that you can use that have the least amount of processing. They're still as close to the sugar cane as you can get without having some a lot of bleaching, a lot of chemicals, and a lot of other stuff in order to get that processing from cane to a workable product that isn't so far from the sugar cane. It will be, you know, like honey. Okay. Okay. Um, you know, pure maple syrup. Uh, you know, of course everybody knows about stevia now. So you would be things along those lines, Philip.
0: Okay, so if you're in a so if you're in a standard grocery store and you're looking for the most healthy form of sweetener, what what would be your recommendation? Because well
1: I personally buy organic um, evaporated okay. cane juice sugars and um, the only reason that I suggest people organic is simple because you don't know um, enough about organic Just to know this is that the way in which organic farmers have to grow um, number one, their soil has more minerals, um, and secondly, they're not going to be using pesticides. So right there in organic, that is lifting your vibration and your frequency of your food immediately. So that's the only reason that I say organic.
0: Yeah, and I, I thought that you said, and also you said something that a, that a lot of us have read, but maybe we, we never, at least speaking for myself, I've, I've never like completed the thought which is i think you're suggesting that in these artificial sweeteners such as say diet coke or diet pepsi where yeah. where they are very sweet and there's different types of artificial sweeteners that are used and and there's there's literature out there that says well the diet drinks aren't good either because they lead to a craving for other for other the sugary foods, is that is that Absolutely. what you're saying? Okay.
1: That's right on the money. Okay. And and even though, you know, of course the diet drinks are getting you know, everybody goes, Ah oh, well, they're zero calories. Right. Um still, I mean, think about it. Is if you're drinking something that has this artificial sweetener in it that's changing the chemistry of your brain to want more sweet things, which we know everything that is sweet has a lot of calories and there's gonna be high in calories. But then it's changing your blood, ca- your brain chemistry to just want things that have high calories in them. It doesn't even now have to be sweet anymore. If anything has a lot of calories in it, now your brain is wanting and desiring that. So it, it's really just, it, it it's like being hypnotized without being hypnotized.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's an
1: inner hypnotizing going <laughs> on. <laughs>
0: Okay, just simply
1: because of how you know, like I said, the little Cs and the Hs and the chlorides and all the things you know they do to to change the chemistry of an artificial sweetener that does not look anything anymore like the chemistry or the or the chemical structure of cane sugar, and that's where we're getting into a lot of problems in this country. And and just let's go back to let's not even talk about diet soda. Let's just talk about regular soda. It's high fructose corn syrup. Right. It's like I said, most people don't put high fructose corn syrup as an artificial sweetener. I do. Because, like I said, the bottom line is it's man-made. bottom line is it's hyper-sweet. Right. So um, I think, you know, either way, whether you're doing a diet or whether you're doing a regular soda with high fructose corn syrup, you're still doing the same thing. It's just the artificial sweetener in the Diet Coke um, Tends to have a more direct and faster influence than the high fructose corn syrup, at least that we know of right now.
0: Let's let's talk a little bit about what your advice would be for for somebody that wants to eat more healthy. Now, I want to say that in your book title and in your in your book itself, the the consciousness. It seems to me part of it is is be more conscious of what you're putting into your body. That's sort of yeah. like one, one sort of spin off of the conscious part of it. Be, be more aware, and you give very, very good and clear uh, explanations, just like you did right now with the, with the processed food and the, and, and the movement away from organic food. Mm-hmm. So, so I take it that that's one part of what you're saying to people. But I think you're. But aren't you saying something more than just that? Uh, when 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 you use the word consciousness.
1: Yeah, and there's a place in the book where um, I, I grew up in Kansas. Although I'm a Texas girl, mm-hmm. and probably like you know a lot of you don't have to be in Kansas to love the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> yes,
0: yeah, exactly. and, and
1: everybody's very familiar with that story. But you know, I kind of say that once our collective consciousness wakes up and realizes that the answers to our health and our weight loss problems are not outside of ourselves with portion control and calorie, calorie counting, fake foods that you can buy from Nutrisystem. um, This realization is that should kind of come out of all this. And then I bring about in the book is that there's a beginning of the journey, just like Dorothy started following the yellow brick road and, just like Dorothy in the Le- Wizard of Oz, you know, she always had the ruby of red slippers to get her home, and all of us have always had our God center and our God self. It's always there. It's just some of us are more connected to it and awakened to it, and other of us, uh, others of us, you know, have to be introduced to that, if you will. Yes. Um, and the obesity epidemic can be eliminated, I believe once every single one of us embraces our body temples, because you're going to treat it that way if that's how you look at it. And this involves an inner process uh, of identifying your food relationships, clearing those emotional centers, so that you find your body asking for God's perfect nutrition, which is Mother Nature's bounty. So I I like to use the of Vaz as an analogy of, you know, everybody knows the story of, you know, she had her way to get home all along that, you know, she had to make the journey and, you know, it, she always had it with her. I mean, that's the bottom line. She always had it with her. And I think this is kind of, you know, why when you asked me kind of at the top of this conversation is, you know, how consciousness, you know, fits into this whole thing is that this is why over 20 years that I've been giving nutritional counseling to people that I've seen the same cycle repeat itself. Is because, you know, everybody's looking at the Wizard of Oz yeah. for their yeah. answers, which is Nutrisystem nutrition and the grapefruit diet and, and so on and so forth. And until people come back within and they really embrace with every fabric of their being that their body is a temple and in that dwells the Holy Spirit. Then once you get to that place and start using some of the spiritual practices and, and clearing those emotional attachments that we have with our relationship with food, then you know you can sit there and do Nutrisystem over and over and over again. I truly believe that through this way, we're looking at really finally having something sustainable.
0: Yeah. Now let me let me let me put another spin on this, which I think is consistent with what you're saying, and that is uh getting back to one of the themes in the show which is a rise in consciousness you know we've had a couple people on the show who talk about that we're really spirits in a spiritual world or spirits having a physical experience right and there is a rise in awareness when a person appreciates that there is a greater power a greater unity uh to the world than meets the eye when we stop thinking of ourselves as cogs in a big machine but as part of a united whole and i i happen to think that this rise in consciousness this greater awareness of who we are also leads to a greater awareness of the miracle that is life and that to me leads to that the that the body is a temple and you and, and and you have to respect it and, right. and and it becomes and to, and so it's really it's really not anything that is different than the great religious traditions. And I say this a lot. It's not as if um, we and I, and even I sort of woke up one day and had this amazing idea about well yes. everybody should be more spiritual. This this is this is coming out of the great religious texts. We're just trying to bring them up to date and give them more meaning. And I, and, and I saw in your book where, where you, you quoted the, um, the temple as a body or the body as a temple passage in the, I believe it's the New Testament. I, I thought that really was, was important because it drew the connection between sort of the religious spiritual tr- traditions and something as, as mundane as a diet. And it is, it is a really important connection to make right And so i think that that uh, is the other form of the consciousness that i was driving at it's not just it's not just be conscious of what you eat which is important but if you look inside and and you understand more honestly and more complete what we really are it makes you appreciate that that you sort of have to take care of yourself a little bit um I, I want to now move into a, some some bigger some bigger issues, which is that does eating in the in the nature of food consciousness help help people with maybe like heart disease high blood pressure cholesterol these kinds of things i mean how how would you how far can you take this well
1: i let me kind of explain to you this way is I did uh, my thesis on superfruits and one of the reasons that I decided on superfruits was because of a personal experience that I had with a superfruit, and it happened to be goju juice. And what had happened, and this was before I started my master's degree and did, you know, my thesis on the superfruits and whatnot, is I had a, a, a kitty cat that had a cancer. She had a little bump on her head. And of course, they were telling me that I should do chemo and radiation on her. And I was not about to have that. And uh, interestingly enough, in the next three weeks after she got this diagnosis, I just happened to be in conversation or around people who were talking about goji juice. Didn't know anything about it. Started looking into it and decided that from what I could see with what I was turning up, uh, it was worth uh, looking into. So I bought some goji juice, started putting it in my cat's water, and within a month, Philip, the bump went away. Mm. Granted, I don't even think I was buying a really pure, strong goji juice product at the time, but uh i mean this this is this is what I was noticing after doing this she and then the other thing was she's a fifteen year old cat she started acting like she was seven years old again and uh What ended up happening is at some point in time, she refused the goji juice and her water. She just wanted water. And uh, and within about a month, the bump came back, and I lost her not long after that. But what I learned through writing my um, thesis is the therapeutic value in these kinds of foods. Without me even knowing it, I refused the chemotherapy and the radiation, that I was giving her natural chemotherapy yeah. through the goji juice. So intuitively, I was led to what she needed naturally. And and this, and this whole story of what I'm telling you is leading back to how you asked me, is that when people switch, let, let, let's just visualize an hourglass, if you will, and take that hourglass and say, okay, this is the standard American diet. Flip it upside down and say, now, this is a plant-based eating plan. And as soon as you flip that hourglass and you make what used to be the standard American diet, the opposite of that, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which would then be plants, you're not going to have issues. You're not going to have conversations about heart disease You're not going to have conversations about cancer. You're not going to have conversations about diabetes and kidney disease and and digestive issues and, and so on and so forth. Because the whole way that a plant grows, survives, and feeds itself, when we eat that, we benefit from every living part of that. And the problem is the standard American diet doesn't have enough of those nutrients and qualities to really almost literally save our lives because we're too busy eating meats and chicken and turkey and and processed foods and McDonalds and, and so and sugary drinks and and once we get filled with that stuff, we don't have room for the good stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah, I let me let me just tell you what what a natural response to this would be and there's two there's two common responses the first one's going to be and you briefly touched on it is going to be i don't have time i right. don't have time to do it right i don't have time to go to the whole foods supermarket and the farmers markets <laughs> so so and and to buy the right things i have too much to, so what's your response to that
1: well you know normally when i used to counsel diabetics and I used to actually have a lot of compassion for them, that they were going to have to change their eating plans so drastically to accommodate, you know, their their glucose issues, you know, and and, and whatnot. And now, um, I just only a year ago, Philip, did I switch um, to going gluten free, and then not long after going gluten free, then I went on a plant-based diet, um, mostly plant-based diet. And all my digestive issues went away. And I would have said, you know, when when I was asking the diabetes people to make their changes in their diet when they found that they had diabetes, I had compassion. I was like going, oh, you know, this, this is just, this is going to be a real restructuring for you. And when I decided or I felt that my body was asking to have the gluten-free and the plant-based and I did it, I would have thought that had I not had the experience myself and I was counseling people to do this, that I would have been sitting here and saying, you know, it really is hard. It's restrictive. It's, uh, it's not the easiest thing to do. And I'm sorry, I can't say that to you. Um, this is not my experience. I've been doing this now for a year. It sounds, I, I think what, what you're trying to bring forth in your question is that people in their minds think it's going to be difficult, that, you know, even if you don't have a Whole Foods in your your city, you don't need one. All you need to do is once you start learning some of the critical factors that I teach in the second half of my book on things like monoculture. Um, not if I can give you one example, sure. is I tell people about in my regular grocery store, Um, I had the choice of a Dole banana, a Del Monte banana, and then some other banana was there, and I looked at it, and it's a banana that comes out of Guatemala. And I try to teach people that, you know, if you can buy your produce or your plant food as close to your source as possible, that's, that's the best thing. So, you know, if you have a farmer's market and you can do that, that's a really great thing to be able to do. But if you don't have that availability, and here I am at my gro—my local grocery store, and I have these three choices, my first thing I teach people is if I'm looking at a label that says Del Monte or Dole, I can pretty much guarantee you that they are monoculturing these bananas. So even if they're monocultured here in the United States, I'm going to be getting bananas that are having lots of pesticide on them and a soil that is not mineral rich. On the other hand, if I have choose the Guatemalan banana, sure, certainly it's coming from a lot further, granted. But the Guatemalan banana is probably, and I will almost guarantee this too, is being grown in smaller crops. It is probably being grown in in at a elevation and mineral rich soil compared to what we would have here in the United States. So even if it has to make the distance to the United States, just the atmosphere, the soil, the fact that they're probably growing the banana in a small crop is making that banana the better choice. So I don't have to have whole foods, you know, to make those kind of choices. And it really is what I'm trying to do in my book is educate people on these simple kinds of things and, and certainly, I say, I say it's simple, but you know, this is going to be an education process for them, and it's going to be a learning curve at first. But once you get a handle on these things, you can go to your local grocery store. You don't need a Whole Foods in order to be able to do exactly what I just told you to do.
0: Well, well that's, you can
1: do that with a lot of food.
0: Right, right. Well, you, you also that's also consistent with what you said earlier about giving people a framework, educating people about how foods are made, The the whole concept of processed food, the food chain, and give people the ability to make their own decisions because, because, as opposed to going to the store and getting, you know, the Jenny Craig box or or the pre-made dietary frozen dinner or something it, because that is that is a lifestyle change that that is an educated change i i i like to think I mean, a to get a
1: consciousness change right, too right, though, Philip. Exa- exactly which is like you said earlier is that uh, you know we've been sitting here talking lifestyle through calorie counting and portion control and and you just need to do this you just need to do that and and lifestyle in and of itself is not going to get you anywhere Right. it's that awareness that consciousness that shift of who what my nature is and then finding that when you get in that place your body's going to be asking for something it never asked for before and when you decide you're going to make this change it just comes so easily because you're in the sweet spot
0: right yeah <laughs> you're yep. in the
1: sweet spot
0: well i guess to put it this way there are so many there's so many diets and and there's so it it seems as if the diet of the day or the diet book of right. the year and they seem you know and you indicate that many of them do work in a short term and as, and as someone once said well if you follow any diet it's bound to work it's the problem right. is the sustaining it but once you if you if you change if you change your mindset or your consciousness then that be, that becomes a spiritual change and therefore you approach food in a different way and I think that a lot of a lot of this that that you're saying makes a lot of sense, and 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 in, and, in, and in fact, that's sort of the way I do it. Now, I am by far, I am not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but 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 but, but I, <laughs> I <don't> do, <laughs> but I do think, but I do think having a greater awareness of yourself and and your potential and spirituality and 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 who we really are, it leads to a greater respect for yourself. Now, right. now 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 there's one more one more sort of question that is that is sort of a, a popular kind of a topic because a lot of people take supplements and, right. and, I, and and why don't you just say a couple things about what what your views are about whether supplements are actually any good?
1: Okay, well, um, like a lot of things in our society, particularly here in America, we've been socialized and accepting, the information given to us by the supplement industry is that isolated in, uh, nutrients, like you can go and buy a bottle of lycopene, you know, in a bottle. You can go and buy a bottle of lutein. Um, but both of these things are found, like lycopene is found in tomatoes, lutein is found in kale. And what the supplement industry is trying to tell us is that if you buy that lycopene in their bottle – that it's going to bring about the same health changes that is if you ate the tomato, right. and the reason they're telling us that is because we do know in fact that the lycopene is the um, the the god ingredient, if you will, <laughs> that has the effect on um, you know that the health therapeutic effect. It is the lycopene that carries um, that vibration the most, but What the supplement industry isn't telling us is that it's the lycopene with all the other things that a tomato has. It's that matrix of everything working together, that unity of um, nutrients that really makes the health benefit that lycopene actually offers. But for them to just pull out just the lycopene and say, oh, this is going to give you the health benefit that you're looking for, we're completely being uh, having the wool pulled over our eyes, yeah. and um, so until the supplement industry starts manufacturing a tomato supplements, you're really just better off with <laughs> the real thing.
0: <laughs> yeah, and
1: yeah. but I do have um, a few supplements, and I do say this in my book because I really truly believe, Philip, that you know when you're eating a mostly plant-based diet or eating plan, as I like to refer to it, I, I think. Diet, to me, is a word that marketers came up with. Mm-hmm. so <laughs> I don't like to use it, and usually when we use the word diet, we think of something that is, uh, is cyclical and short-term, so I, I like to use the phrase um, eating plan. But some, um, some of the supplements that I really do kind of like are things that you couldn't ordinarily go into your grocery store or down to the farmer's market. And get these things. Um, and one of the things is just you know the story I told you earlier about goji berries. Right. Um, the superfruits are wonderful, wonderful additions uh, to uh, even a very good, well-rounded plant-based diet. But some other ones that I like are chlorella and spirulina, which these are both um, algae. And then there's um, some people hear the word maca rolling around <laughs> uh, in certain circles. Well, I like root macas. Um, even though we do eat some tubers, um, things that grow, you know, under the ground, uh, we've really, as a country, gotten away from that. And interesting enough, anything that grows above the ground, of course, you know, goes through photosynthesis and chlorophyll and all those really great things. But so believe it or not, there's a whole, um, it, it's just like the life the life force of birds and stuff that are you know, up here in the atmosphere with us are quite different than marine life. You know, it's two completely different systems. And so it's the same thing with um, the root foods. Is Because they're underground, they bring forth nutrients that we wouldn't ordinarily get because the ones that are growing above ground have a whole different system to them. And one of the other things I really like is living clay. So these would be things that I would say normally you're not going to find in your produce department. These particular uh, nutrients have some really great qualities to them nutrient-wise that you wouldn't be able to get otherwise. And I think that these are um, something that's welcoming to supplement, because you're not doing it because you need to you're doing it as an adjunct or an addition to something really good that you're already doing now you're just amplifying it
0: well well that's well that's that was a good that's a that's a good um way to to end this conversation uh, to supplement it in in the right <laughs> way and and that's and that's and that's that's why I want to do that well I want to thank you. for for your time, and why don't you let listeners know how to uh, get in touch with either you and buy your book?
1: Okay, um, they can go to www.MindYourFood.com, and that's M-I-N-D-U-R-F-O-O-D.com. And if you buy the book on my website, it's the only place that you'll be able to get an autographed copy and free shipping. Um, It's available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and Google Books and other places as well. But um, like I said, the only place you can get the free shipping and autographed copy is from my website. Uh, My blog you will also find on my website as well as uh, my email to be able to contact me if you have uh, any further questions or conversation that you would like to have with me. So there
0: you have it, Phil. Well, well, that's well, that's great, and I'd like to thank you uh, for for being with us. And the one thing that I want to emphasize here is that food and consciousness do go together. That this this is bringing these concepts of spirituality down to earth, making us more aware of who we are, our own bodies, and to pay more attention to what goes into our bodies. Right. Uh, getting in touch with nature. Uh, is good and it it not only leads to a more healthy lifestyle but it may it, it may ward off diseases make us feel better about ourselves and treat our bodies as the temples that they really are this is Philip Merton this is conversations beyond science and religion thank you for listening You've been listening to Conversations Beyond Science and Religion with Philip Meriton. To find out more about Philip and his new book, The Heaven at the End of Science, visit heavenattheendofscience.com.